take a moment. Uh, I'll pray for us as we get ready to hear from the Scriptures. Lord, still our hearts now. Um, we're so used to taking in information in our world that we don't even think about it. And so it could seem strange that we would stop now to pray before hearing a sermon. We don't stop to pray before we read news articles. We don't stop to pray before we surf the web. We don't stop to pray before we read a street sign. But we do now because something more is at stake than just information transfer. Uh, what we need is heart transformation. And so we do stop. We ask you to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We can't change our own hearts in the ways that matter most, in the places where the hurt and need is deepest. Only you can do that. So we ask that you would do that for us today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to hear this morning in our scripture passage that for 40 days after Easter, Jesus spent time teaching, preparing his people for a mission, a mission that would stretch through the whole earth. That mission is multifaceted. There's a lot of things that we ought to be doing as the people who belong to Jesus. But one thing involved in this mission, one of the things that he wants us to be doing is speaking good news. Speaking good news about who God is and about what Jesus does to bring us near to God. Now, in English, that process of speaking good news has a name. Our, our word for that good news that's been handed down to us from English translations of the Bible is gospel. It's hard for us to see how that might mean good news. It comes from Old English words that means something like good spell. Right? The, the good words you could speak that would have power to transform and change. The gospel. It translates a Greek word, euangelion, which in turn comes into Latin as evangelium. And that's where we get the English word evangelism to describe this activity of speaking good news about who God is and what he has done through Jesus. So we as a church in town are going to spend this season building up to Easter and beyond, learning together from Jesus through uh, the book of Acts uh, and see how Jesus teaches us to pursue this calling of evangelism, this calling of speaking good news about Him. But today the very first thing I want us to know about that is that this is not just an activity. It's not just a thing we do. It is something rooted in our identity as a people who are deeply loved by God. So we're going to listen now to a reading from the book of Acts, the first few verses as Jesus teaches us about this. Emily, thank you. This morning's scripture lesson comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a difference between something we do and something we are, between activity and identity. One of the places you see that distinction show up is the way you might think about food. So if we see food as just an activity, then it becomes just a process of stuffing calories in. But if we see food primarily in terms of identity, who we are, not just something we do, then we start to approach meals as, as a time to bond with people, as a time to form deep relational connections, a time to get to know something about you, to know something about the, the culture you are from that's going to dictate what color sauce you put on your barbecue, for example. Um, so, so food can be just an activity, just get the calories in. Or it can be something deeper, something around identity. When we read this verse from Scripture, Acts 1-8, and we hear Jesus talking about this mission he has for his church, which involves evangelism, it involves, involves speaking good news about him to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, starting here in Jerusalem, going to all of Judea, going even to Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If we hear that as primarily about an activity, then we start to think, well, you know, maybe evangelism is the fast food of spiritual life. You know, just get it done, even if you have to be a little sloppy about it, even if you have to treat people badly, even if you have to be a jerk, just tell people about Jesus and use any means possible because it's just about getting the activity accomplished. Or maybe it's not the fast food of the spiritual world. Maybe evangelism is sort of the gourmet experience of the spiritual world. And it has to be prepared by an expert. And to really be able to talk to anybody meaningfully about Jesus would require such training and expertise and knowing every answer to every possible question. I can't do it. You can't do it. Forget it. None of us will ever be gourmet chefs. Let's just stick to fast food. Maybe, maybe evangelism is the dieting of the spiritual world. It's the thing that's there to make you feel guilty all the time. It's the thing you ought to be doing but never do enough of. It's the thing you're not disciplined enough about. If we view evangelism primarily as an identity, I mean an activity, we will slip into those mindsets. But what if... What if it's meant to flow from our identity? In fact, in fact, Jesus and the people he was speaking to knew enough about the Old Testament to hear in these words 
to hear very clearly and immediately that he's talking about something that's not just activity, but it's something that's rooted in our identity as God's beloved people. I don't see anything there that says we are God's beloved people. So how in the world would we be expected to know that? Glad you asked. That's the first question we'll answer today. How would we know that? Well, the answer is in two key phrases. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when we hear that phrase, you will be my witnesses, if, if, if we've been with Jesus for 40 days, and, and Luke's gospel tells us that for 40 days he was spending time teaching his disciples from the scriptures, then we're going to think of the prophet Isaiah, because there are only two places in the whole Bible that use language like this. And they're both found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43 and chapter 44. And then we hear this phrase, the end of the earth. Now, the phrase the ends of the earth, plural, appears a lot of places in Scripture and a lot of places in the Greek language. But there are only, there are only seven places in all of Greek literature that this particular phrase, to the end of the earth, occurs. Four of those are in Isaiah. One of them is right here in front of us. Another is later in the book of Acts, quoting Isaiah. So we put those two key phrases together, and we know that Jesus has been teaching his people based on what God has said through the prophet Isaiah. God said something to Isaiah about our calling to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. If we want to understand what Jesus was talking about, we need to listen to the background from Isaiah. Well, what would that background from Isaiah teach us about our calling to speak good news about who God is and what he's done through Jesus? Well, a few things. First, we would learn that we're called to say something. If you read Isaiah chapter 43 and 44, you get this sense that we are, we are called to say that there is one true God who made the world and who is working salvation and redemption in the world he made. That's the thing we're called to say according to Isaiah. And we're also told it won't be easy because Isaiah says in chapter 43, chapter 44, you will be my witnesses. But in each chapter, in the next verse, it says the other nations will have their witnesses saying that their gods are the true redeemers and saviors. You will be my witnesses saying that I am the God through whom redemption comes. This is not going to be easy. Not everybody's going to immediately jump up and down and agree with everything you say when you say that I am the redeeming God. But... You can do it because you are deeply loved. If you read Isaiah, chapters 43 and 44, the background for what Jesus is saying here, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Then you hear promises like 
these. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. First verse of Isaiah 43. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. You are my servant whom I have chosen. Everybody else may reject you. I have chosen you. You're precious, honored. I love you. I am the Lord, your Redeemer. I am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Then we move on to Isaiah chapter 44, the only other chapter of the Bible that uses this language of you are my witnesses. This is the background Jesus is drawing on when he says, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. He says at the beginning of that chapter, you are my servant whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. I was there helping you when you were just a couple of cells big. And I will still be there to help you no matter what. I am that kind of God. We will get to say, verse 5 of Isaiah 44, I am the Lord's. He even says we'll write it on our hands, like tattooing our identity. I belong to this God who made me, who says I'm precious and honored, and He loves me. And He tells me, I am the Lord, the King of Israel, His, your Redeemer. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Verses 21 to 23 of that chapter. You are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud. And your sins are nothing more than a vapor and a mist. And I've blown them away. I have redeemed you. Do you hear what, what we're learning about our calling to say something to the ends of the earth? To speak good news to the end of the earth about who God is and what He has done through Jesus? It is rooted in this truth. This is our identity. You are precious. You are honored. You are beloved. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You can do this. It might be hard, but you can do this because this is who you are. Now picture Jesus spending 40 days unpacking the Scriptures with His disciples after Easter Sunday, saying, I've, I've got a calling for you. I've got a mission for you. And it's going to involve going to the end of the earth and speaking this good news. But but. But sit with me and, and let's look at the prophet Isaiah together. And let's, wait, let's hear what Isaiah says about being God's witnesses and about going to the end of the earth. And we start to read Jesus' words in a, in a different way when we get that context and background from Isaiah. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. 
here in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. But saying that in the light of everything that Isaiah 43 and 44 tell us, Jesus is saying, you will be my precious, honored, cherished, beloved, chosen, forgiven, never forgotten, never abandoned, never forsaken, always receiving my help, strength from me, love from me, always. My redeemed people, you are deeply loved. And this calling I have for you flows out of that identity. It's not just a thing you do, not just an activity. It's rooted in the fact that we are deeply loved by God. Jesus spends 40 days unpacking for his disciples the truth that he has done everything necessary to make all of those promises true for us and for anybody, anywhere, anytime who will put their trust in him. So at the end of the day, evangelism starts with Jesus. Jesus tells us good news, that because of him, all these promises are true for us. And then we get to turn around and speak that same good news to other people. We get to say, all these promises are true for you because of who Jesus is. I'm not especially good at that. I'll be honest, this whole sermon series makes me nervous, right? It's it's spending a, a lot of weeks talking about something that I think is a weakness of mine. But it's okay. It's okay because this is where we get to start. Jesus doesn't say, you'll be my witnesses to the end of the earth because you're so good at it. You'll be my witnesses to the end of the earth because you got it all figured out. You'll be my witnesses to the end of the earth because every last one of you in this room is a naturally gifted and skilled communicator about all things religious. No, that's not the background. Jesus is clearly drawing on background from Isaiah. And if you read Isaiah, it says the reason you can do this is because God says you're precious, you're chosen, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're holy to him, you are his. You can write it on your hands so that you won't forget, forget it. He is your helper. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be with you. That's why we can do this. Not because we're good at it, but because he is good to us. Why does this matter so much? Well, because it's possible for us to hear everything that Jesus is saying to us about our calling to speak good news to other people about God and about what God is doing through Jesus. It's possible for us to hear Jesus calling us to this mission that involves evangelism and understand it in completely the wrong way. Right language, wrong meaning. First meal I ever prepared in Scotland. We get on a plane with a one-way ticket. We're moving over there. Uh, Tricia is busy 
caring for this five-month-old baby, Sarah Elizabeth. And uh, so my task was to cook dinner the first night, right? So you start simple. And what could be more simple than spaghetti? I need noodles, I need ground beef, and I need a jar of instant sauce, right? And so um, I, I get a friend to take me to the grocery store, and I say, well, first I need spaghetti noodles. And she looks at me like, hmm? Ah, you mean pasta. Oh, okay, pasta. Yeah, let's go with that. And then I need some ground beef. Hmm? You'll be meaning mince. Okay, mince. Let's go with mince. I need some mince, apparently. I don't know what that is, but what it... And then, when she looked at me the most, you know, like, like I was really not quite fully there, maybe too much jet lag, is when I told her, now I would like a, a bottle of uh, spaghetti sauce. That didn't make any sense. So I tried, how about tomato sauce? What? Tomato sauce. Well, because in Britain, tomato sauce is ketchup. You're going to make your wife, jet-lagged wife, who's busy caring for this little girl, you know, a pot of noodles, ground beef, and ketchup? What kind of man are you? So I quickly learned that we were not speaking the same language, right? I was saying all these things, but, but she was hearing totally different things. Finally, we worked it out that in Scotland, if you want what I was calling sauce, you ask for passata. Oh, okay. Well, that same kind of misunderstanding can happen when we begin to think about anything in the spiritual life, particularly here. What would go wrong if we if we think about evangelism and we hear it through the lens of moralism. See, there's a, there's a distortion of, of the Christian gospel that we could call moralism or legalism. Some people would simply call it religion. That's the label that Tim Keller uses. And when you talk about evangelism and run it through that grid, you don't hear what Jesus is saying at all. What you hear is, oh, evangelism yeah speaking good news to our neighbors and we speak this good news to our neighbors because we are better we are better than other christians who don't do this we are better than the people we're speaking the good news to and the speaking the good news is the thing we do that makes god love us no that's not what jesus is talking about at all if, if, if you're hearing that when I say evangelism, if you're hearing that when you read Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. It's like looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, no, you got it all wrong. We don't do this because we're loved and precious and redeemed and forgiven and chosen. We do this because we're better. Get it right, Jesus. Now, what do you think that's going to lead to in a conversation with your neighbor? It's going to lead to a ton of arrogance on your part and condescension and looking down on the people. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. It's like putting ketchup on the noodles. It's awful. There's another grid that would cause us to mishear humanism. Tim Keller calls it relativism. 
You might call it secularism. It's this approach to spiritual things that says, you know what, we really can't know truth from God, but we will try our best anyway. So evangelism is when we speak good news to our neighbors even though we're unsure. It's like looking Jesus in the face and saying, Jesus, thanks for telling us that we're all these things. Thanks for telling us that we're precious and honored and beloved and chosen and forgiven and redeemed. But the reality is we're not even sure there's someone out there to love us that way. But we're going to talk about it anyway. We're going to say it even though we're not sure. Well, what's that going to lead to? That's, that's going to produce a pretty timid result. It's going to be really hard to be confident in, in talking to other people about Jesus if we're not even sure that we can know truth about Him and His Father. It's going to, it's going to lead us to playing it safe. And Jesus says, can I, can I invite you to another option? You don't have to put ketchup on the noodles. Can I invite you to something much more appetizing than that? Can, can, I, can I lead you to a third way where you can have confidence and humility at the same time when you talk to other people about spiritual things? Can I, can I take you a place where, where you could talk to your neighbors about me in a way that displays grace and, and a whole lot of assurance and confidence that these things are really true? Can I take you to the heartbeat of the gospel, which isn't like moralism at all, and it isn't like humanism at all. Can I invite you to speak this good news to your neighbors because you are precious and honored and beloved and chosen and forgiven and redeemed? You will be my witnesses. Isaiah spoke to us about that. To the end of the earth, Isaiah spoke to us about that. And every time he told us those things, he couched it in all of this truth. And when we hear that, we look at Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus, you didn't get it wrong. We're not better. And we don't have to be unsure. Because of who you are, because of what you have done, all of these promises are true for us we can do what you are calling us to do because you, Jesus, have told us who we are. We can learn to speak good news about you, Jesus, because you are the good news for us. Jesus doesn't call us to this because he wants to produce a bunch of arrogant, fast food serving jerks who are just doing anything to get the job done. And he doesn't want to produce a church full of intimidated people who will never fix a meal for anyone because we're afraid we're not expert enough. And he doesn't want to create a church full of people who are constantly guilty that they're not doing enough. He wants to produce a world full of people who have heard from the church that because of Jesus, it is possible to be all of these things, precious, honored, 
cherished, loved, never forgotten, never forsaken, never abandoned. We can do it because Jesus has told us 